Are you a Better For You food and beverage CPG founder who is open to talking about your brand and sharing your journey and insights in building your business? If yes, then you are exactly who we're looking for to join us in our goal of creating a show that can become a platform for learning and inspiration for other founders in the industry. I would like to personally invite you to be a guest on this podcast and join me for a conversation so we can help many others succeed in their journey in this challenging industry. Be our next guest by signing up at thevineyardbc.com slash podcast. That's thevineyardbc.com slash podcast. I look forward to having you soon. Brandstar Goes Healthy features founders and CEOs of healthy food and beverage CPG companies who share their biggest successes, hardest failures, strategic learnings, and tactical tips so you can learn from them and help you avoid mistakes and instead succeed in building your own healthy food and beverage brands. If you lead a vegan, plant-based, organic, all-natural, functional, and other healthy food and beverage CPG company, then this show is for you. Hosted by Leonard Grape, founder and CEO of The Vineyard, the brand development company for the healthy food and beverage CPG industry. Hey everybody, it's Leonard here and welcome to the Brand Start Goes Healthy. For today's conversation, I'm joined by Arshad Bal, the founder and CEO of Amrita Health Foods, a healthy food brand which offers plant-based pantry ingredients and snack products. Arshad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Leonard. Thanks for taking the time. Before we get going, can you please give us a brief background about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I'm the founder of uh, two companies, uh, one that runs um, a brand that's been, we've been doing it for about a decade now in the plant-based space, making um, protein bars, uh, bites, granola, and protein oatmeal. And then the other brand, the other company I run is the manufacturing unit where we make the products uh, ourselves. That is a more recent focus about the last three years since the start of the pandemic, started making our own products. That's interesting. I'll, I'll check later on if I can see if there's any overlap there. But I'd like to ask first my official question. You mentioned this. You've, you've started your company about a decade back, and I'd like to bring you down memory lane. How did your brand start, Arshad? I mean, take us a decade back. What led you to starting Amrita Health Foods? You know, um, it was my son's journey with autism. So my son was diagnosed uh, at age two and a half years old with autism. And like most young kids at that age, um, they have a lot of gastrointestinal problems. They have speaking issues, sensory issues. And so we were developing these bars, not as bars, but they were being developed as Play-Doh. So literally dates, dried fruits and seeds that mimic Play-Doh. But instead of throwing them away, we were trying to take the Play-Doh and make them into cookies and bars and things like that. And um, so we made that. He actually liked the taste of the cookie and he ate it. Um, and then we also realized it was good for his gut because it didn't have anything that caused gut inflammation. So it was like win-win. And then really the break came and I had no idea about food or the, the food industry or anything like that. I was in working for IBM and consulting and doing those things. Um, we went to a farmer's market because we, he needed to work on his social skills, eye contact skills and all that. And there was a farmer's market near our house. We took some of the bars, we wrapped them up in basic brown paper foil and, and um, 
we were there and one Saturday morning, uh, a buyer from Whole Foods got off the train. The train, it's at the, the farmer's market was the train station. Just so happened to see what we're doing, said it would be really interesting for us if we wanted to sell at Whole Foods. Um, and so we went to the local Whole Foods store and the story and the product really resonated and it started selling really well. So then I had this really interesting dilemma on my hands. I got a product that's selling. Um, I've done enough in my um, corporate career. Um, I'd worked in different corporate jobs for many years um, and I'd kind of gone pretty high up and I didn't really care about the corporate way of doing things and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And this sort of gave me that opportunity to be an entrepreneur. And so, I, so that's kind of like when I took that opportunity and that was in 2012 summer and really got going on this in 2013. Wow, that, that's amazing. First off, it's such an inspiring story to hear an entrepreneur like you really doing something out of you know, a very personal reason. Uh, th- that's very powerful to me. But can, can you just take me a little back? Was that a real coincidence? I mean, what, what a coincidence. You were just out there um, doing yeah. your, your regular um, Saturday with your son. And then you, you met with, with the guy from Whole Foods. I mean, how, how did that pan out? Like, what was the conversation? And when you met him, were you like, oh, I think this is an opportunity? I mean, can, can you just pick, paint a picture for us? I think that's a really wonderful coincidence for you. Yeah. Um, I think where, where I got interested was the fact that I did want to branch out into entrepreneurism. But I'd always done things through a safety lens of being in corporate. That was my background. You know, I'd gone to business school. I had come to this country to be, you know, to study and all that. So I'd always done that route, right? That's all I knew. But then the entrepreneurship side, especially 2010, 12, it was starting to, to become more of a viable way to make a living. And I, I didn't know how to do it. I, you know, I seen people do it. And this was like pre Gary Vaynerchuk and all these people. And so I was kind of like waiting for that opening, right? And this gave me that, that opening. Plus, I wanted to, um, to test some of the things that I learned in corporate, right? I learned mm-hmm. finance, I learned marketing and all that. And this was a great way to do it. So I think from a business standpoint, that was interesting. Um, I honestly did not know enough about the product standpoint, right? Like mm-hmm. I knew how to make this one protein bar. And that was it. Uh, I was not a food scientist. um, But I've always been a person who's like, give me a challenge, I'll dive in, I will just learn, right? I'll make a um, 100 mistakes, and I'll learn through it. And that's what I've been doing my entire career, just kind of like, you know, learning through iterations and and kind of like, you know, improving every single time. Yeah, which is how yeah, entrepreneurship which- really is, right? You, you go into it and then you build the bridge as you go through that journey. You also mentioned, Rashad, at that point in your life, you were pretty satisfied with where you were at in your corporate career. But here you are given this unintentional opportunity, if I may say, to build something as your starting point in entrepreneurship. I'm curious, what led you to deciding to say, okay, this is something I can already go on and do full time, and I'm ready to like pack my corporate career and call it, call it that. Um, what 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 was that decision making process look like for you? There was one thing that made it easy. Okay, there were actually two things. One was IBM in 2012 was cutting a lot of jobs. Okay, and they were looking for people to put their hands up who wanted to retire or who wanted to quit, and they were going to give them a package. 
So that was good for me, right? Because I was like, okay, these these times only comes at certain intervals, and you know, it's 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 there. I also um, knew that with entrepreneurship, the best way is to have your have your job and to do it on the side. That's the best method. And this was not going to give me that method, but at least it was going to give me some money to allow me to do it, right? So that's basically what I did was I said, you know, there's lots of stars that are lining up. Let's go for it. Interesting. Okay, thanks for sharing that, Arshad. So during the early stages of, of Amrita Health Foods, because now you're at a 10-year journey, but how was it during the early stages? Like in terms of your growth trajectory, how was your mindset? Were you like, did you have specific milestones for the first year uh, and then you wanted to achieve this in the first three years and so on? What was that like for you? Yeah, you know, there's a really famous saying from Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan to like, get punched in the face. And I think, you know, all of us have these hockey stick plans, right? You know, day, year one, 100,000, year two, 200. And we, we build our own spreadsheets up, right? Um, and always the spreadsheets are like hockey stick. But it never, most businesses never go that way. So I think for me, the first couple of years was just learning the industry. This, the, the food industry um, has a lot of uh, rules, okay? It's a very old school industry and you have to sort of learn those rules and follow them. Um, and some of those rules were pretty shocking to me, like the amount of money you have to pay to each of the layers, right? To the store, to the distributor, to the broker, and then you realize that the bar that you're trying to sell for $2, you actually have to make it for 25 cents to be able to make any amount of money, you know, in the business, right? So a lot of that was really surprising to me, the amount of cushion that you have to build in the business to make it as a profitable business. And I think the problem was that I was already a year or two years in when I realized the problem in this industry. And so... I kept going because I had a good product, you know, I had good traction and I kept going. But then I think five years in, six years in, I completely pivoted out of the traditional way of doing the industry because I realized that the traditional industry is very old school. It does not build enough margin for startups. And um, so I went to e-commerce and because e-commerce, you are not dealing with all the layers, you're not paying the store, you're not paying the broker, you're not paying the distributor, you might be paying Amazon, the fee, yeah, Amazon takes a good chunk, but Amazon's platform is, is insanely bigger than any other retail stores platform can be, right? And if you go direct to consumer, then you're not even paying an Amazon platform, you're just paying Shopify its fees, and you're basically selling your vision to a consumer to buy your product. Right. So I, I really believed in this new way of doing business, which was direct to businesses or direct to consumer or direct through a platform like Amazon to a consumer. Uh, and I've been in that on that model for the last six years. Uh, I still do a little bit of retail, but most of my business is e-commerce. I, I'm very glad to hear that because I, I recently wrote a quick guide that we're about to launch for healthy food and beverage founders. And one of the thoughts there I was trying to assess actually, Arshad, would be where do you go big really, e-commerce or retail? And some of the pros that I, I cited for, for e-commerce is really the margins. You'll have more flexible margins because you wouldn't have to pay for, for the retail stores, for the brokers perhaps. It's just a matter of how you'd spend 
maybe your customer acquisition in that note. I'm curious, in terms of comparison, because you said this is like about six years ago, so you sort of like have half-half. What have you seen in terms of growth impact when you were doing retail and then when you shifted and pivoted your focus for your brand to go more on the e-commerce side? Um, both of the models have pros and cons. So if you're in retail, let's say you get into a chain of 50 stores. Okay. So the 50 will give you a massive bump in revenue. So you go from, you know, let's, let's say 50 stores order 2000 to $5,000 a month from you. Okay. So that's, it's literally like servicing one customer. You're getting this big chunk of money in, um, Versus when you're doing direct to consumer, it's literally consumer by consumer by consumer by consumer, right? So that so it's a little bit more of of smaller increments. The difference, I think, is a lot of people they go into retail and they just blanket retail, but then they they don't have enough money to then support the retail, right? So you have to spend if you're if you're getting fifty stores, you have to really service those stores. A lot of people, what they do is they, they get into the stores and then they don't service it. Then they go try to find the next 50 and the next 50. And they get excited by the fact that they've got three, 400, 1,000 stores they're selling in, but they're not treating those 1,000 stores as 1,000 times 100 customers per store. How do I service those people? And that costs money and time, right? So once you don't service them, then you lose the account. And it's a lot of money to get into an account and then you lose it and then you never come back. So I think I like the consumer model, the e-commerce model, because it's a slower rise. But I think most of the time you're paying more attention to the consumer by consumer by consumer. You're building a better foundation and you're watching and you're you're fixing your mistakes um, when you're still growing slowly. I also think that in the store is who's attracting the customer in, right? So it depends on the, le- of the service level of the store. The customer has a good experience or a bad experience. And you can't control what the store does, all, mm-hmm. right? You can only control your product versus when you're on your own website, you control the entire experience, right? So you can make the experience really nice for a consumer. And then they, they buy your product because of the experience that they're getting, how they're feeling because of your interaction with them. And then price is not as important. So I realized like in this industry, it was very price competitive. And the only way I was gonna survive was to provide amazing service, kind of like a Zappos model, right? Mm -hmm. You, You provide amazing customer service, then price becomes irrelevant. And people buy your product because of how you make them feel. And you can only do that when you're direct to the to the consumer, not right. when you're going through a retail channel. Yeah, 100%. That makes a lot of sense. And thanks for sharing that. And it's good that it's the same way I was trying to think about it. There's, there's no like right or wrong platform or model. And it's great that you really separated it both. And you'd have to understand where the pros and cons for you. But I love the fact that, and I'd agree to that, if you have your own website, you empower it with your its own e-commerce capabilities, or even when you're in other marketplaces, but, but in your own website, you're right. You can really craft the way the experience of the visitor or the potential customers would be. So that's a really interesting note. And thanks for sharing that. Now, I, I want to talk to you about how you measure success. Uh, for for a food brand like Amrita, uh, I mean, like 
do you have any hard metrics that you're always on the lookout for? Like earlier, you you touch a bit on how you're looking at margins when you were still focusing on retail. So, for example, if you don't get to maintain certain profit margins, I don't know, then you know you could be in trouble. What's your thought on that? A quick break, CPG founders. Here's a hard truth. You can never win on product quality alone. It doesn't matter how great your product is if people don't know about it. It doesn't matter how delicious your product is if people don't get to try it. So if you really want to win in the better for you food and beverage CPG industry, you need to equip your great product with powerful messaging and effective marketing. That's what differentiates successful CPG brands from unsuccessful ones. If you're tired of figuring out how to move from unclear to a messaging that works and from weak to a marketing that captures attention, then we have the expertise, framework, and tools to help you out. If you want to learn more how we can help you, reach out to us by heading on to www.thevineyardvc.com. Now, back to the conversation. So the food industry, like I said, is very price competitive. And in, in every category, like, yeah, there are some categories that may be very new where you can have a little bit of price elasticity, but most categories are price, pretty price competitive. And most categories have really strong leaders in them. Uh, so like in the, in the bar category, you've got Cliff Bar, Quest Bar. These are like massive global companies that can bring their price down very fast. So for you to compete, you have to have a good price. You cannot be expensive. So by manufacturing ourselves, we were able to make it very price competitive. But for us to survive long-term in this business, the way I measure success is, is kind of like two or threefold. One is, um, am I still making enough net margin, right? So I'm looking for at least 10% net, closer to 15 to 20% net margin is, is what we need in the business. The industry runs on somewhere between three and 5% or even less than that. So you gotta be higher, way higher than the industry average. Um, the second thing I'm looking for is, am I making the product as good as the best in the industry is? Even though I don't have the marketing spend of a cliff bar, will somebody, when they have my product go, this product is amazing. Like it's really good. Okay. So that's, that's the second thing is constantly improve your product uh, as you go along. And then I think the third thing is, am I being as efficient with everything that I can put my fingers on, whether that is with the way I produce the product, with my marketing, with my team, efficiency is extremely important to me. It's not about scale. It's about the work that we do. Can we be incredibly efficient with the work that we're doing? Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Obviously, you have so much experience in the space, Arshad, uh, and you have seen a lot of things in the industry. And I'm sure, as you said, your, your journey is really all about learning. So, so I'm really interested to ask my next question. In your journey so far, what is one mistake that you've made in running your business that you vow you would never make again? I made a mistake a couple of years ago, and I'm still trying to get out of that mistake right now which is building a product because of a trend versus does it fit my ideal customer and am I giving them more products, my ideal? So I, the, the, the product that I'm talking about is I was following the keto trend, okay? It was a really big trend um, and it now is on its downward cycle um, for about five years, six years. 
And um, I felt this pressure to make a product that was keto. And then I realized that I was a little bit late to the game. A lot of companies had made a keto product and that my, my target customer did not resonate with keto. And so now I had to sell it to a different group of people and it was really diluting, again, coming back to efficiency. It mm -hmm. wasn't efficient marketing for me, right? So that was an important lesson learned is, um, you know, constantly survey your customers because they're buying a lot of snacks and maybe they make you, they're buying something that you're not making, but that will fit their audience, that will fit their needs better than something that's outside of their scope. Yeah, I think that should be a very, very core principle of everything that we do as entrepreneurs, right? Focus on the customer, like what, what is it that they need? Uh, it's always easy to get swayed by, by trends, but sometimes it may work. Uh, but, yep. but I think that the safest route and the most sensible route would be to just keep your hardcore focus on your customers. So I, I totally agree with that. Uh, what about in terms of marketing, especially in the recent times that you've really focused on being a D2C brand? Uh, I know there are so many things that you can do now uh, in the past 10 years from the time that you were doing marketing when you were in IBM uh, in the past 10 years that you were running Amrita, I know a lot has changed, but in your case, what have worked best for you uh, in terms of marketing? And are there any key marketing principles that you can share from your experience, Rashad? Yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing about marketing is that there's always something new, new channels, new ways of doing business, right? And I think it's important to know about them, but I think it's also important to understand that, um, uh, the, the fundamentals still work, right? So the fundamental is um, picking up the phone and calling a customer to, to thank them for their business always works. The writing a thank you note always works. Yeah, it's, more, it's not efficient, but it works, right? So that's like direct mail, email, voicemail. Those are, those are like technologies that have been around for 10 years. Those are true and tried. Now you've got these new technologies like TikTok, um, Instagram Reels, all of that, right? And I think you have to sit back and say, do, do you, in your efficiency window, which one of those new technologies can you really do well instead of doing three things badly? And so, so that's been the hard part for me is sometimes I get distracted and a lot of marketing people, entrepreneurs do, jump on a new technology but don't have the patience to go deep into it. We're just going back to the fundamentals this year. Like we're going back to customer, really good customer service, like constantly delighting the customers by giving them free product. Um, also in the space of food, sampling is one of the best things you can do. Like if you are curious about my product, can I send you two bars for free, right? And either you like it or you don't, but if you like it, you'll buy it because I went out of my way to send it to you for free, right? So um that's a lot of what we're trying to do so and i think about it from a cost and a margin perspective sending two bars to my customer probably will cost me two dollars okay postage everything in the cost of acquisition on facebook and any of these platforms is way more than two dollars right uh so if i can acquire the customer for that and even if the person doesn't like my product they will love my service right and they will tell somebody about it um, so th that's what we're doing. You know, um, we're, we're just going back to basic fundamental marketing. And that is such a sigh of relief. It's so refreshing to hear that, Arshad, because with a lot of things going fast and changing, 
with young entrepreneurs right now in the space, usually, well, these platforms can work. You're right. But you'd have to have the, the time and patience to go deep and make it work best for you. Yeah. But don't forget yeah. about the fundamentals. So that, that one, I mean, even thinking about like how you'd compare your cost and margin in terms of customer acquisition, how beneficial it would be for you to, to also think about sending free samples as compared to running tons of ads. So that's such a refreshing answer. So I appreciate that, Arshad. So right now, 10 years into the business, you've been here, you've seen a lot of things in your brand. I'm curious, what are your biggest challenges right now? Um, growing profitably. It's really difficult to growth costs money, right? And if you look at the last three years, right, you had the pandemic in 20 and 21, which disrupted a lot of stuff, including people not buying uh, snacks because people were making snacks at home, right? So the snack industry really went down um, for two years. It's coming back up now. Then what happened the last one year was supply chain disruptions, right? Containers costing a lot of money, ingredient prices soaring. So your margin was, was really getting tight, labor prices going up. So we've had this real tightening of margin because of just marketplace issues. On top of that, we're in a, in a recession now where people are willing to don't want to pay as much. So you've got that ex the external compression where people just don't want to pay for, for good, good product. So you're limited to what you can do for growth if you're bootstrapped, which we are. And I think that's the hardest thing we're dealing with right now is, is growing um, at a good rate, but still being profitable. Yeah, th that's a very difficult thing to, to balance, right? Because as you said, if you want growth, you'd need money for your marketing, you'd need money for new platforms and those different yeah. things. Uh, so how, how are you trying to manage that now? Are, are you more on the conservative side or are you trying to be a little more aggressive? I mean, how are you balancing that? The way we do things is we look at margin for every product very carefully. We don't enter into a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, would enter into ideas without the margin analysis done beforehand. We don't do it anymore. Right? For every product that we want to launch, every concept we want to launch, we do a deep margin analysis first and say, would we make money if this project took off? And, and then only will we, will we do that project. It's going back to the fundamentals of business school, right? You, mm -hmm. That's what we were taught. But I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, you go with your gut first and then you sort of backtrack into margin. Now we're saying, yeah, as entrepreneurs, we have ideas. We study the market. We know what somebody's asking for. Can we make it? Probably. But before we make it, let's do the business case analysis on it so that we're not dumping a bunch of money into it and then realizing it's not profitable. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It seems also to me that you've been through so many tough times, like, like the past three years is obviously challenging for a lot of people, for entrepreneurs. Was there ever a moment in your journey of building Amrita Health Foods that you ever thought of quitting? Yeah. You know, I got really burnt out um, towards the end of the pandemic, which was, I think, I would say 22, um, probably 21. Yeah, 2021, end of 21, I was extremely burnt out. And um, I think I was in a really tough spot because I had just built my factory, right? So I started building my factory in the beginning of 2020, put a lot of money into that. And this was, I started it before the pandemic. And I was on a five-year lease, so I really kind of couldn't get out of it. Um, 
what I could, but I didn't want to get out of it because I invested all this money. And the demand for the product was was a 30% low, but in general, the demand for protein bars was about 30% less. Um, and so I was utilizing the factory way less. Um, I was and labor cost had skyrocketed by about 50%. So it was like all these negative things. I was working insanely hard in the business because people, you know, there was a lot of labor flux going on at that time. And these were all recipes for, for burnout, right? And there was not a good answer. Now, I think the market's stabilizing a little bit. Labor is still very expensive, but, and I feel like I'm, I can continue for many years because I've come back to this, a concept that is traditionally not used in, in, um, in startup environment, which is profit first. Mm-hmm. So uh, the concept is as an entrepreneur, you need to pay yourself, right? Regardless of whether it's, it's just like, take the profit first and pay yourself something because it not only helps you mentally, but it also just puts you in the right business fundamentals. And so I started that concept about six months ago, seven months ago. And since then, I've felt a a lot more re-energized about how I do things. That helps. Yeah, thank thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate you being open about that. Uh, Before I ask my last question and before we go to the final segment of the show, I want to do a quick recap of some of the highlights that I got because this has really been amazing, Arshad. One, it's it's really truly inspiring to start something that that means a lot to you. I mean it, it's not even about the money or or the shiny big things, but start a product with something that that can really drive you towards a long journey. And in terms of becoming an entrepreneur, I love what you said that one of the best way, if not the best way, is to have a job first. So you learn all of the basics. You never lose your fundamentals in business and then you become an entrepreneur. In terms of journey, uh, that actually hit me. Usually we have that trajectory in terms of growth. We all have the targets, but we sometimes disregard the fact that in the first few years, what's most important would be learning, learning your craft, learning the industry. And in terms of choosing on how you strategize your growth in retail or D2C, the approach is really understand the pros and cons between the two. Um, but in essence, generally, you have to have a good price to compete well. Uh, and I think it's important for me to recap your success metrics will really be your net margin. Uh, you're targeting 10 to 20% above the 5% industry average. Constant improvement. Uh, make your product as good as the best one. And lastly, be sure that you're running your your brand, your company in the most efficient way possible. Um, and in your thoughts about marketing, I love how you brought it back to just really focusing on the fundamentals. I mean, we all have these new technologies, social media platforms, but never forget the fundamentals, like even up to the basic of the human-to-human interaction, right? Uh, and yep. lastly, before even thinking about growth, you should always go back to your, your basics, which is your margin analysis. So don't just go out because you have an idea and there are trends, but make sure that down the line, you know that you're going to make money out of it if it takes off. Anything you want to add to that? And is that a fair recollection of some of the things that you shared? I think it is. And I think also this thing around live your life, right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, have an incredible hustle mentality, which you need. Right. I, I work incredibly hard, but you cannot do that for year after year after year. You've got to take breaks and, and you got to take deep breaks away from technology, away from everything. Um, like I said, I got extremely burnt out at uh, the end of 21. And I find like myself getting burnt out at a more rapid pace lately, because once you get burnt out, it's easy to to if you think about the from the body physical phenomena, it's your adrenal glands. 
that get burnt out. And when your adrenal glands get burnt out, you stimulate them typically by coffee or, you know, some other external things to keep going at a very high level. Um, and your body just can't sustain that for an insane amount of time. So it comes back to the fundamentals. Like you got to sleep really well. You've got to feed yourself really well. You've got to have relationships. Entrepreneurs in general have very poor external relationships, family, friends, all of that. And I think you can go hard for a couple of years to build something, but then find the time to go back to the fundamentals. Otherwise, you, you won't be able to do it long term. Yeah, that, that's very powerful, Arshad. And I know you've shared a lot of very important insights and even wisdom to some extent. But I think what you just said would be a perfect segue for my last question. What is the greatest lesson so far uh, that you've learned in the past 10 years of building Amrita Health Foods that you want to reiterate for other entrepreneurs to know? We are at a really interesting time in history where people can spin a business up incredibly fast, right? Literally in a day, you can set up a website, you can set up a payment portal, you, you know, you can, you can have people paying for you. But um, so, so I think starting a business has never been easier, but instead of thinking about money, think about community first, right? Who, who are you trying to communicate your product to build a relationship with the community and then build products? So kind of a reverse of what I did. Um, and, and I think now that I look back and I say, if I had to start another business or if I had to adjust what I'm doing, I will always adjust towards community. Like build that first. You can sell anything to a community that believes in you. And so... Um, that's, I think, where I would advise a lot of young entrepreneurs to, to spend their time on first community, then product. Yeah, that's wonderful. And this has been great. I know we can go on, go on, but I'd like us to go now to the last segment of the show or shot, which I call the finish line. It's basically the lightning round where I have five questions that I want you to answer as concise as possible. Are you good? Sure. First question, characteristic that an entrepreneur must have to succeed. Resilience. Any book that you want to recommend for entrepreneurs to read? I like Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek and Tools of Titans. Those are two books that are in my library and read over and over again. That got me looking at my shelf because I have Tim Ferriss's book right over here. <laughs> Next one is Can you please complete the sentence? Success is enjoying what you do year over year. That's so great. If you're not an entrepreneur now, what do you think would you be instead, Rashad? A gardener. Oh, that's interesting. Finally, why do you think someone should start his or her own healthy food and beverage brand? Everybody eats, has to eat. And if you can delight somebody by making products that they will consume and they will say good things about, you won the lottery. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Arshad. This has really been a pleasure. And I appreciate you for being so kind and generous in sharing your story and insights. But before I let you go, can you please tell us where is the best place for people to learn about you and Amrita Health Foods? Yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So in terms of personally, yeah, you can find me there, Arshad Ball. Um, and then uh, the two brands that I run, one is Amrita Health Foods, A-M-R-I-T-A, Health Foods. and I also run, like I said, a manufacturing unit. And on the manufacturing side, if anybody's doing manufacturing, I, I talk a lot about it on LinkedIn. The, you know, the pitfalls of manufacturing, some, some things to be aware of. So Amrita Global Group is that, that manufacturing website. 
Great. We'll make sure to link those up in our show notes. And once again, Arshad, thanks for being here and may God bless you. Hey there, wonderful person. As a Better For You food and beverage CPG founder, you know firsthand how difficult it can be to start, run, and build a CPG brand. Many wish that they can learn straight from others who have gone on the same journey. This is the reason why we started this podcast, to provide a platform for learning and inspiration for other founders in the industry. So if you want to take part in helping others, I invite you to be a guest on the show. Talk about your brand and share your story and insights by signing up at thevineyardbc.com slash podcast. That's thevineyardbc.com slash podcast. I look forward to having you on the show.